think they're still there. No. I think they're still listening. I think, <laughs> I think they've moved on to one of those murder mystery podcasts by now. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a kind of murder mystery podcast, isn't it? Who killed Superman? <laughs> That's what we should call it. That's yeah. the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the podcast this is our third episode and we're going to be talking about the christopher reeve superman movie i'm gareth madeley and my sidekick is paul cornish anyway so superman the 1978 superman yeah the greatest film of all time so yeah. as we um as we usually do let's start off with when was the first time you saw it or do you remember about it from when you were a kid do you know what i i watched it when i was a kid but uh, and i enjoyed it but I don't really have any sort of, you know, these these really strong memories like I have with Batman 1989. It, I, I don't think it made as much of a mark on me when I was a kid. Uh, Superman 3 did, because I was really terrified of um, Robert Vaughn's sister being turned into a robot at the end. That really shit me up, that did. So Superman 3 probably made more of an impact on me than the first Superman did. But then I watched it again in uni, and I think that's when it really resonated with me. And I always think that that's because Batman is, and I know I might be touching a nerve with you here, so uh, stop me if I am, but Batman is a sort of uh, a child's fantasy. It's like the idea that you could punch your way out of your problems and you can defeat evil just by punching it or scaring it. Whereas, you know, Superman's a, a bit more of an adult fantasy, I think. The idea that you can inspire people to be better and you can just make the world a better place just by being terribly nice to everyone. Um, no, I think I, I agree with you. I think I agree with you about Batman. There's definitely something um, quite... I don't know if I'd say childish. I don't know. There's like an immature... an immaturity with the character, maybe. You know, like in that he never really got past something that happened to him when he was little. And as traumatic as that is, people do get past their trauma, and Batman hasn't, even vaguely. So, um, yeah, no, I completely get where you're coming from with that. Uh, I think it's interesting that you said about um, being scared in that bit of uh, Superman 3, because I've got a really, really clear memory of watching Superman when I was little. It's like of... It's one of the handful of films I remember watching when I was really quite small. And I don't remember which the first one I watched was, but they're all sort of unified by that feeling of fear about something. I remember watching um, Star Trek Two and the bit with the earworms, because um, that was terrifying. Why a child of six was watching that bit, you know. <laughs> what can I say? My dad was great. <laughs> And lax. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, I tell you the one that really did flame and freak me out when I was a kid was the bit in Ten Commandments where they're just all flaming sacrificing people while Charlton Heston's up the mountain. Oh, yeah. oh I haven't watched that film for years. I don't really remember that bit. God. It's for the best. Oh, that would see it into my memory. <laughs> it was <pretty> terrifying. Um, 
Yeah, anyway, so, like, all these films I remember, a lot of the stuff in the 80s is based around this, like, sort of an uneasy feeling that really bedded in and made me remember them. Um, but not sort of in a... I wouldn't say it's a negative way. It's, like, not like it gave me nightmares or anything, but it was just so emotionally resonant. Um, and it might be actually the reason why I'm so fond of horror films and stuff like that, because, you know, fear and horror as a real strong you know, is really strongly resonant, even when it's not giving you nightmares. You know, I don't necessarily think horror films and things like that are a bad thing. My strongest memory of watching the original Superman film was um, the destruction of Krypton at the beginning. Um, And I just remember it being like it was too big for my brain to process it because... I couldn't have been more than six years old. And almost like it was the first time... It's like you don't really register death, I think, when you're that young. Or certainly I didn't. You don't really get your head around it. So you don't really worry about it. But you know it exists. <laughs> you know people stop. And I remember... And it was the first time that it was just like... I think my little braid was going, that planet blew up. Those people stopped. Mm. And, you know, and for for such, uh, you know, a light and positive kind of character, a hopeful character and all, all of the usual cliches with it, you know, the fact it begins with, like, the death of billions, you know, there was something, there's something about that that really, really, you know, even though I couldn't, um, it's like I couldn't process it, it had a big effect on me. And I still think that now. It's like even when I read the scenes in the comics where Krypton goes, there's like a there's like a chunk of my, a very sort of like primal part of, of me that th- that that really feels, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but it clearly had an effect on me. And and I remember it more than any other film. It might even be the first proper film I ever saw, just because I've got such a strong memory of the destruction of Krypton. There was something about the character that made me uneasy when I was very little. And part of it, again, is because Batman's just a person in a car. Spider-Man, even though he's got powers, is he's just a... You know, Peter Parker's just Peter Parker, if you yeah. know what I mean. It's just like, he's very, very normal. In all his incarnations, Peter Parker's just meant to be yeah. normal. But Superman is, is alien. Really yeah. alien. And his powers are... Like they're big powers, they're unusual powers. In that, when you first, when when you first meet them as a child, if you see what I mean, it didn't. Re- I do see what you mean, but it it didn't really resonate with me in that way. Possibly because I'm not as uh, intelligent as you, so <laughs> it, didn't, <laughs> I don't think it didn't hit me on that level. But it, it, you know. I don't think it's. In, I think it's. I don't think it's. I think it's just. It's. It wasn't intellectual. It was really instinctive. It's like I couldn't have described any of what I'm saying. It's only now thinking back. Am I sort of trying to work through what the ally was thinking? Mm. But there was just something. It's weird though, because with me, it was the um, the disfigurement of Robert Vaughn's yeah. sister mm. in Superman three that unsettled mm. me. Much more than I mean, I don't think the destruction of Krypton even registered with me. But that that woman getting turned to a robot, I always had a problem with disfigurement when I was a kid in films. Because even to the extent that one rainy day in school, it must have been close to the end of term in primary school. I don't know if you remember this. They played that Disney film, The Shaggy DA, 
where uh, Dean Jones turns into a dog because someone rubbed the magic ring or whatever. And there's bits where you see him sort of mid-transformation and his nose and lips are black and he's got hair starting to grow on him. Yeah, yeah. And that fucking terrified me <laughs> to the point where, like, I had to leave the hall. We were watching it screaming and crying, like, you know. And the teachers were just baffled with... <laughs> Like, what is up with this wussy kid? Like, you know? <laughs> but it was like, I never used to... You remember that programme, Woof, on yeah, ITU? Yeah. I never used to watch that for that reason. Just I had a real thing about disfigurement. And funny enough, I only really got over it by uh, watching the 1989 Batman film where, you know, everyone gets disfigured. <laughs> 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 Because I never really read Superman comics then during the 80s, certainly not like I can remember, not the same way I read Batman comics or, or Marvel comics or Transformers comics. I never really read Superman stuff. So so the movies were how I think of think of Superman for like all of the 80s. I think that was my reference point. And they are, and this, they're quite odd movies. And I think it's because... The first Superman was the first superhero blockbuster movie. It set the template. It was there was nothing like it before, and there wasn't really anything like it after for another good. I don't know. I think I, I mean I, I don't know what you'd say about it, but I'd say there wasn't anything that was similar to the first Superman until the first Sam Raimi Spider Man, because even though you couldn't have the eighty nine Batman without the first Superman film. I wouldn't have said. I I don't think the eight nine Batman film really took anything from Superman in the same way that it, in that it took more from Frank Miller, Alan Moore, and that kind of era of the comics. I think the eighty nine Batman took a lot of that. I don't think it took as much from Superman. I think there's a reason maybe that Superman didn't really influence future super movie superhero movies in the way that Batman did. And uh, I don't know really where I'm going with this. I'm thinking out loud mainly. So stop me if this goes wrong but i'm thinking like the thing about batman i think we touch on this in the podcast we did on the 1989 batman film is that as brilliant as it is it's like a hodgepodge of different scripts and filming scenes last minute and it's a bit of a mess that turned out good isn't it whereas superman it's a really carefully structured, really well-made film that doesn't just stand up as a good superhero film. It stands up as a great film. So I wonder if maybe Batman had more of an influence on the genre of superhero films, whereas Superman had more of an influence on pop culture because it was just such a massive film on every level. Yeah, but would you say that Superman then was the only film that could ever do that because any film that comes after it is going to be a superhero film in the superhero genre, whereas Superman was the first film of its type, so it could be anything? I don't know, because I think there have been films since that have almost like... And this sounds like I'm being really snotty about the superhero genre, and I don't mean to be because I love superheroes, but I feel that there are films that have come after Superman that transcend the superhero genre and aren't just like 
fantastic superhero films. But, like, yeah, this is a great film. And there aren't many, but they do come after Superman. And I'm trying to think of some examples. The first example that comes to mind is Dark Knight, which is yeah. just just a fantastic film all round and a fantastic story that stands on its own right, even though it's part two of a trilogy, which is the amazing thing about it, like is then part of the problem that we don't have standalone movies anymore in that Dark Knight was probably the last time you'll ever get a DC movie. Or maybe not, actually, because they're talking about splitting up DC movies now, aren't they? They're talking about doing completely separate DC movies. Yeah, generally speaking. Yeah. There's a few Marvel of the Marvel films that kind of stand up in their own right, but they mostly work to their benefit as part of this, like, huge sprawling coherent narrative you know and they do it so well you wouldn't want them to do it any other way but people i think filmmakers should realize that's the exception you know mostly people should strive to make films that are great in their own right you know which i hope is the direction dc are going now i mean that's what the rumors say like you said but who knows man I tell you what, I'll tell you why I think Superman is so great. And then maybe I think, because I, I think maybe I disagree with you about Spider-Man following its template. I don't think there's many films that have followed the template of the first Superman film and its approach to superheroes. And uh, I think the reason it's so clever is the sort of three different genres of film it goes through. And it kind of uses the first two genres of film like as a foundation to make the last genre really work. So when it starts off on Krypton, it's like this sort of sci-fi myth. You know, everything's really grand and made of crystal and almost heavenly. And you you feel like you're on Olympus or something, you know. And uh, everyone's yeah, everyone's literally glowing like yeah, uh, like yeah. gods or angels, and everything's really serious. And you know, Marlon Brando sounds a bit like he's doing Shakespeare, you know, when he's saying the dialogue. Not quite. I mean, he's not speaking all Thor like. He's saying it with a real gravitas. Everything he says, and then you go then into the sort of like the other kind of mythology of America then. It's like it's like full on Americana, isn't it? That sort of um mythologized into a Midwest painting. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, you, you so you you've got like two forms of like really strong resonant mythology that going on there. Nineteen fifties America, big sprawling cornfields with like a beautiful sky above it. And um we've literally even got What's his name? Glenn Ford in it, you know, and he's one of the stars of that kind of American film. And uh, and then these like really two strong resonant mythological bases. Then we, when we get to Metropolis, we've got this solid foundation, and now we can embrace the sort of more comic booky side of it with uh, the mad scientist villain and the secret lair. Yeah, and I suppose you could add on to that, you know, sort of classic romance story going over it as well, giving it a strong foundation too. tell you what this is a different subject altogether but i know maybe we'll touch on it now or later but i would go as far as to say superman the movie 
ruined Superman for the next few decades. Well, that was going to be my next question to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think it did. Because I think I think we both come from the same... I think we've got the same views on this, that how people, in, in in the opinions of two Welsh guys, mean so much that we think everyone's got Superman wrong, don't we? Well, uh, you know, and that's the problem with Superman. Everyone thinks everybody else has got Superman wrong, including us. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think it, it's become too much like a religion now, and a big part of this is how strongly... Superman the movie resonates with people. We're using that word a lot, aren't we? Sorry, resonates. <laughs> but it did, though. You know, it resonated so strongly with people and it made such a strong impression on people and people love it so intensely. And I know I certainly do. But just like anything else, it's not just a, even a matter of other interpretations of Superman not measuring up to it. It's about other interpretations of Superman being blasphemy. Because they dare deviate from this template in any way, like, you know, which is ultimately really harmful to the character because we can't just let this really old, enduring character with so many facets and interpretations to him be dictated by one person's or a few people's interpretation of it in 1978. You know, it's not going to survive if we do that. What really interests me is how christopher reeve how his version has locked itself in as a very fundamental version of superman and part of it's because he's so good i mean he is brilliant it was a once in a generation role um and, and it was it was an incredible feat because he, he doesn't really look like what Superman looked like at that point in history. Yeah, totally. He doesn't really look like... He doesn't look like the conservative fat man of the 1950s. <laughs> he doesn't look like the circus strongman. Of circus the... strongman, that's it, basically. Like, um, yeah, if your dad was a circus strongman... I don't mean your dad, Chris May. <laughs> I just mean if everybody's dad was a circus strongman he would be kurt swan superman wouldn't he and that was very much kurt swan superman was very much the uh, template of superman when christopher reeve was in those films but also christopher reeve didn't have a huge effect on the comics afterwards either i don't think in not that... until john byrne in 86 but the people who sort of follow john byrne or the fellow travelers to john byrne sort of took it in a different direction as as well in that he looked less like a circus strongman but certainly through the 90s he started looking more like a pro wrestler yes yes yeah that's true i think this kind of like i mean everyone loved christopher reeve and burn was certainly influenced by christopher reeve's really human depiction of superman but it's a relatively recent thing this kind of like holding up Christopher Reeve as the gold standard. It's happened in the past 10 years. Maybe because of Superman Returns, I don't know. Because Superman Returns kind of woke it back up in everyone's consciousness a bit, didn't it? Because it stuck so closely to that. Yeah, because Brandon Routh, again, looks more like if you're, you know... I'm not knocking the man, I think he's great. But I think on, on a purely surface level you cast him because he looks like Christopher Reeve. You don't cast him because he looks like Superman. Yeah. But what I will say about Cavill is 
he looks more like a Kurt Swan Superman than pretty much anyone else who's played Superman. But what's interesting about that is it still wasn't enough to bring people around to him as Superman because they're not looking for Kurt Swan Superman anymore. They're not looking for what I'd maybe call like a proper gold standard Superman. They're looking for a Christopher Reeve Superman. And I think that's really fascinating that he was a, you know, because Superman was famous before the 78 movie. Mm. I mean, he was an icon before that movie. I think we sort of they seem like I think there's a bit of false memory goes on with the '78 movie. I think people kind of think that oh, Superman was ebbing out and dying before, and the '78 movie rekindled him and brought him back. And I don't think that's true. I think Superman's always been, always been big. Mm. Um, certainly, he was still selling loads more than say Batman. Though when Batman really was on the verge of cancellation in the mid-60s. But Superman's never been on the verge of cancellation. There's always been something Superman going on. There's always been a radio show or a cartoon or something. Yeah. Um, And it, and what makes it even more interesting that sort of like Christopher Reeve was so good he was able to punch through that stereotype people had of Superman and create something so new and interesting that it's stuck in everyone's mind ever since. But unfortunately now... I, even if we got someone good enough to punch through the perception of Christopher Reeve, people don't want to let him go. And people don't want Superman to be anything else. And I think this is going to kill Superman. And I'll give you uh, the perfect examples of Superman Returns and Man of Steel. Because Superman Returns, I don't care what anyone says, is a great film. It's gorgeous to look at. The cast are fantastic. And then it starts from this point of, like, your Christopher Reeve Superman, or it's set in this sort of Christopher Reeve, Richard Donner universe. And then it kind of pushes it forward, which is really brave because it pushes it forward. Like what if Lois had got sick of him because he'd abandoned her for five years? And what if Superman, spoiler, had a son with Lois Lane, you know? And and that's like a really brave direction, an interesting direction to push it in. And then we've got this sort of like, uh, this version of Superman in Man of Steel that's based more on them. Um, is it Philip Wiley's Gladiator? You know, it was one of the inspirations for Superman. You know, the idea that he's looking for his purpose in life. He's got no precedence for superheroes because, after all, he's in a universe where Superman wasn't invented. So he's there looking for his purpose. And that's completely different to um, someone like Christopher Reeve's Superman, who, once he sets his course on what, you know, Jor-El gives him his mission, doesn't he? in the Christopher Reeve Superman. So again, you've got this really interesting take in Man of Steel, but I just, I just don't think people want it. Hey girl, we gotta get out of this place. Gene Hackman, brilliant, but completely wrecks Lex Luthor, um, in that his character bears almost nothing to what, what anyone who's read the comic knows about Lex yeah, Luthor. he's very much doing his own take on Hackman's Luther, isn't he? Do you think there's any of the comic Lex Luthor in Hackman? Yeah, definitely. At the time, Lex Luthor lived in a base in a swamp with a big disco collar on. You know, that's how people knew Lex Luthor at the time. He was your archetypal mad scientist. And it wasn't, of course, as you know, till the 80s where they revamped him as this sort of evil businessman. And even though his motives have always been there, and he's always been a really deep, interesting character, and he was always, like, motivated by this hatred of Superman, 
they don't really, they've never really delved into it in the way they do. Uh, and I think also before 1986 and before 1985, Lex Luthor in the comics, he was almost a goodie. Because do you remember he had that big planet where everyone loved him? Yeah. Uh, God, would, I haven't thought of that for years. Yeah, called Lexor. And he would go to that planet occasionally when he just couldn't be asked with Superman. He'd go to planet Lexor. He'd just be a superhero there for a while. And there's loads of stories where, like, Luther kind of goes too far. Like, there's this one where, um, in the 70s, where he creates a galactic golem to fight Superman. And um, Superman, for reasons, makes Lex Luthor think that the galactic golem has killed everybody on Earth except for Lex Luthor. Obviously, Lex Luthor's gutted at this, and he's like, oh, my God, I've killed everyone on Earth. <laughs> I'm a monster. And then, like, Superman turns up. It's like, ah, I was having you on, Lex. It's fine. And, and Luthor's, like, crying with relief. He's so relieved that he's... Whereas, you know, if anything, then, when they revamped Luthor in the 80s, he got more evil, and he got more of a, an ashamed monster. I tell you one thing we haven't discussed about the Superman film, and um, that's uh, the recently deceased, sadly, Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, and what an important part of the film she is, and why she uh, why she's like another of these sort of foundation struts I was talking about that hold the film up because she, uh, you know, people, uh, your automatic, your average Joe on the street, their automatic response to Superman is to be quite cynical, I think, you know, and it's like, oh, the big blue boy scout and oh the american way oh i and she kind of directly addresses that doesn't she when she's doing her interview with him and she replies well she faces him with all this cynicism you know you you'd have to be fighting every elected official in washington she says to him and he meets that with a completely straight earnest face and you know that that was necessary. You know, and gradually, as she becomes to believe in Superman, this really realistic, grounded, recognizable person, this character, that you know she she gets changed for her, her interview with the president in the bog, and she you know she smokes fags and she types everything wrong. You know she's she's got these flaws. She's really recognizable. She's a little bit mean to Clark Kent, like. But do you know what? That's that's what I that's what I really love about about how uh, that part of the character, um, because um, as I said before, my 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 ultimate Superman, my favorite thing about Superman is the very 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 early Superman stuff, the nineteen thirty eight thirty nine stuff, that um, this raw rough that is childish, that is immature, that is clearly the product of a couple of really you know young men who are like writing their pain onto the page in in a way that that they can't articulate they they they're not you know god love them they're not particularly talented you know, they're, a, <laughs> they're a better artists they're a better writers at that time practically every other comic that follows them has got better writers better artists on it but there's such a raw power and energy to the early superman stuff that that isn't carried along by by logic or anything like that but it's just carried along by you know pain and rage but also like hope for the future and um and a belief and interestingly a sort of a belief in science fiction as well because um Siegel and Chester were big science fiction fans they thought Superman was originally going to be like a pulp 
character more than a, than inventing a new superhero genre kind of thing. They thought he was going to be a pulp character and a science fiction, something for science fiction magazines and stuff like that. And, so, and that went into the, you know, the 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 pot that brewed up Superman. Um, but part of that raw edge is they wrote Lois as so mean, but in a way that you can totally understand because you think about it she was you know a woman trying to get along in a stereotypically male world you know she'd have to be she'd have to have like the knives out and be yeah yeah acerbic and not taking nonsense from people and certainly not taking nonsense from you know i know they probably didn't think this far into it but I imagine if you were a woman in a newsroom in 1938 and someone like Clark Kent came along who was callow and weak, he'd drive you around the, around the bend because you'd be like, I am four times as tough as this guy. I'm smarter than him. I'm better at things than him. I'm braver than him. I'm everything this guy isn't. But he walked... And he's in... literally... Yeah, he's literally walked in off the street yeah. into his reporting yeah. job. Like... And, <laughs> and again, I don't know how conscious it was, but they picked that dynamic up and they put it down in the 70s and it still fit. Yeah. And and Richard Donner in the film was able to use that, uh, use this character that they created... And her personality as a way of like addressing the audience's cynicism and pitting that against Superman's nature. To a large extent, in the comics, maybe we've lost the newsroom element um, that Dan Jurgens in particular did really well. You know, the the bullpen feeling, the fact that you had. You know Perry White and Clark Kent and Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, and, and you'd think with all the stuff at the minute about things like fake news and the role of journalists and what what are journalists doing now? Who who controls the media? It's so up to date and modern and happening right now. You'd think it would be the obvious thing to start writing into a Superman comic. Yeah, because definitely. that's who Clark Kent is, and of course, the idea of Superman's secret identity as being a journalist is really super important to how we view the character and what it says about Superman and what it says about America. Now, I don't think again, when Siegel and Chester first created Superman, I don't think that was deliberate. I think that they followed, you know, the pattern of Pulp Fiction, which is if you yeah. if if you write in crime. You got it. Your protagonist is probably going to be a copper, a private investigator, or a news reporter because you need an excuse to have your protagonist involved in stories. And yeah. news report is one of the top ones. It's like he was either going to be a copper, private detective, or a, a reporter, and they went with reporter. And I don't think they had any motive beyond that. But it was a brilliant choice in retrospect because the idea of journalism and news as being an important pillar of American society, you know, is it's fundamental to the American experience or how I understand the American experience because, and of course, what, we, what, what we're losing at the minute is the idea of journalism and newspapers holding powerful people to account. Now, I'm not saying there was ever any, a golden era where newspapers were perfect. You've always had your tabloids. You've always had yellow journalism. You've always had corruption. But 
what's really interesting as in, you know if if you are interested in the history of the united states is this idea that from the venin newspaper reporting freedom of speech freedom to report on events was such a fundamental part of the creation of america it wasn't just about having a president about having the vote about having a court of law but having a Supreme Court, it was also this idea that we're going to put freedom of speech in the Constitution because mm. that's a way, that's a check on power. So it's a, it's it's an amazing bit of luck that with Superman, a character who says so much, who is meant to sh- sh- meant to be the epitome of what's good about the United States, is also in his secret identity one of the fundamental pillars of their republic. And with, in real life, that pillar being deliberately undermined by people in power, they'd be silly not to address this in the comic. Because it's also an important part of the character as well. As Superman, he can only do so much, because if he go, if he steps over the line, he becomes an alien invader. If he actually overthrows a bunch of dictators or, you know, goes and slaps Putin around or something, he becomes an alien invader interfering in human affairs. So being a journalist is how Superman fights for justice as a man so it's a really important part of his character and one that shouldn't be ignored no because people don't realize i think how radical a figure superman was originally like politically Mm. radical yes His, his original in his original conception um he was you know fdr democrats are socialists by whatever mad you know, they might not be a socialist by how I define it, but how the insanity of current American politics is. If you showed up doing, saying half the things that Roosevelt said, they'd think you were a communist. But Superman was an FDR Democrat. He was all about attacking companies that tried to bust unions, about you know corrupt mine owners, about corrupt cops. You know he was a he was a radical figure. A radical leftist yeah. figure, which is obviously something that gets chucked under the rug as much as possible because Americans don't like that kind of thing. <laughs> a lot yeah. of Americans don't like that kind of <laughs> but, um, but he was a radical figure, and, and I think that's reflected, again, in the fact that he's a reporter because it wasn't just Superman who's radical going around, you know, taking the law into his own hands, protecting people from the corrupt. It's also... It, it's about hold... It's about finding your own power to to keep the more powerful in check. Yeah. You know, that's a bit of a tortured way to get around it. But I think that's what's fundamental about super about Superman. He's not a benevolent de- dictator. He's not a sun god. He's an incredibly powerful individual, but uses that power for the benefit of other people. Yes. Not just himself. And I think also a very fundamental thing about Superman to me is he's got to empower other people. Yes, and, definitely. And that is why it... It, it winds me up when people say, oh, well, Superman is super powerful. Why doesn't he fix everything in the world? And it's like, and I think Grant Morrison put it the best. Not surprisingly, Grant Morrison put it the best. It's that it's not about grabbing people and dragging them to the future Superman wants them to have. It's mm. about empowering them to find the solutions themselves. And it's just about catching them when they fall. And this is why Superman embodies the American way more than even Captain America, because like you say, he is about empowering people to help themselves. And he's this huge power that has deliberately put checks and balances on himself. Yeah. 
Mm. And that that's really powerful, and that that's what America should be about, which well, it obviously you know, isn't. Yeah, you know, and obviously I'll say this, you know, because it's me. I see Superman as like the embodiment of the nanny state. Okay, it's like because it's you know because in what we think of, in what my conception of a socialist state is, is it's not about the state making you do stuff. It's not about mm. the state showing up and saying you need to do X, Y, or Z. It's about the state empowering you to do the things that you need to do. If you get sick, they'll save you when you're sick because no one plans to get sick. But if you want to get a job, you should be able to choose what job you get. You shouldn't have someone from the government show up and say, this is a job you need to have. And this is the amazing thing about sort of, you know, sort of right-wing libertarians who are very much against the welfare state, in a, especially in America. So you hear these right-wing libertarians so, talking so much about, oh, not helping people, but, you know, helping them to help themselves. And it's like, that is what the welfare state is like, yeah. you know? No, uh, exactly. That's what it does. You know, it's I, the American dream. But also, I think that's something that far, people on the far left don't always get either. It's just yeah. like, oh, yeah. well, you know, people need to do X, Y, or Z. And it's just like, well, no, it shouldn't be about telling people what they should do according to what you yeah. think they should do. Anyway, so that's what, that's kind of what I think of Superman being. It's, it's not about telling people what they need to do. He's about saving people who need be, to be saved. And it's about inspiring people by, by, by an example more than it is about saving people. And I think people get that mixed up with Superman. I think they want Superman to be this weird space daddy who yeah. does everything right and saves everyone. And that's not hope to me. That doesn't sound fun to me. That doesn't sound good to me. That shouldn't be yeah. what Superman's about. But I do think that's a fundamental part of Superman to me and something that's almost completely absent from the film we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that inspiring people to help themselves is in that film, definitely. I mean, Jor-El expressly forbids him from interfering with human affairs. And he says, you know, they are good people, Kal-El, they wish to be. They lack only the light to show them the way. So his job is specifically to inspire people to be better and to help uh, inspire people to help themselves rather than doing it for them. But is, that, and, is, okay. that, is that demonstrated outside of dialogue, though? Nah, because he kind of goes back in time to save his bird, doesn't he? <laughs> like, so... <laughs> but I think that sort of touches on a sort of larger thing. That's more, I think that's more about him stepping out of his father's shadow yeah. and him not acting like a sort of uh, this sort of Christ figure with a mission from his father, but acting as a man who would do anything for the woman he loves. So I guess that's like going a different way with the Superman myth. you're saying about superman's origins i'm gonna be i'm gonna be like a tedious devil's advocate here right <laughs> <laughs> you know what you say about superman's origins based firmly in the left i think that's indisputable but at the same time do you think we could be in danger of doing what a lot of people do with superman i think is sort of project their own personal like creed and ethos onto this person who is this mythical character who's supposed to be this sort of guiding moral light. Do you think we may be guilty of that a bit? I think we are, and I think we're right to do so. 
<laughs> because Superman's meant to be the ultimate power of good, and that's that's what left wing is. <laughs> well, yeah, really. I mean, I don't know. I'm a little, I'm you know, a little bit more centre. You know, <laughs> it's just like it all. Better. You know what? You, you you bring up you bring up a good point there because it is completely true. It's like if you did stick a gun to my head and you said, morally, what's the most ethically and morally correct political position? I'm going to say it's on the left. Um, not not. I'm not saying people who don't share my politics can't be moral people but if you're saying philosophically what's the morally the right right way of living in terms of philosophy i'm gonna go with you know with left wing with with a, yeah. with a broadly left-wing worldview and yeah. and people could dispute that and i could be wrong god you know i don't have any you know i don't have anything in um you know um moral authority to say so that's just how i've been brought up and that's what i believe and other people can argue it and they might well be right about that as well um so, absolutely, I think I probably am projecting. Like you say, I'm doing. I, I'm doing the very thing that we criticise other people for. And that's the interesting thing you said. You don't have that authority. So what we're doing is projecting our beliefs onto someone with the moral authority. Mm-hmm. You know, and people do it with Jesus, don't they, as yeah. well? And they do it with religious figures, like you know, they project their own personal beliefs onto these ultimate mm-hmm. authority figures so they can point them and say, ah, yeah, I see, we're in the right, yeah, because yeah. this guy says so, like. <laughs> yeah. but, um, I don't know, I'm also being a tedious devil. No, no, it's well. no, um, I mean, I think maybe my counter-argument to that would be, I, I mean, my initial thought on that is it's just like, yes, but it's not like I brought this out of nowhere in that no, the early no. comics very clearly you say got that. Receipts. You um, got receipts. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it, it, you know, in the same way as if we were talking about Batman, and I'd be talking about him as being a grand left left wing hero, I really would be talking complete bobbins because because <laughs> that boy yeah. ain't ain't, ain't left wing. <laughs> yeah. No, I I take your point. I think there's. Uh... Um... You're not just pulling it out of your ass, no. are you? There's, no, there's but, a strong case there. I you think. know, but having said that, Superman does get much more conservative in the 1950s. There are streaks, you know, there are there are stories where Superman is much more conservative that doesn't share anything at all with the early superhero, the early Superman story. So, so you could also argue that I'm just taking, I've chosen the 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 span of time where the character most closely fits my beliefs. Um, yeah, yeah. But I also but, win because that's defense, the original. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. That that is the first version of him. Yeah. Mm. So. <laughs> but then again, we could argue that. But that's that's the unformed version. That doesn't show any relation to to the later version. That the character's also, not yeah. been refined yet. In that, you know, because yeah. you know, because I wouldn't turn around and say, "Oh yeah, Batman's definitely got to go tooled up and just shoot monsters in the head." Like he did in like hmm. nineteen forty or whatever, because Batman the character hadn't been fully formed yet. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the fact that so many different ethoses can be projected onto Superman because he, he is because he points towards this perfect moral center. Yeah. Yeah. Because Superman is the ultimate centrist. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm doing there? See what you're doing. Superman is literally a centrist dad. Yeah. <laughs>
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Email us in your opinions, folks. <laughs> <laughs> To round up, we've talked about Superman in the past, where he comes from. We've talked about um, the movie that's um, the linchpin of how we see Superman now. Where, where do we think, where do we think Superman can go in the future? I don't know because I know that well, they'll bring a Superman film out, and chances are, I like it because I, quite frankly, will like any old shit with Superman <laughs> in it, and uh, so. Chances are I'm going to like whatever they bring out. And, and to be fair, I do think Man of Steel and Superman Returns are genuinely good films. Uh, not, it's not just because they got Superman in it. But I'm, pretty, I'm an easy lay when it comes to <laughs> Superman. But having said that, I do not think we'll get a Superman film that everyone's going to like. I think whatever they do, it's going to take years and years and years for us to ever have a Superman film that's universally loved again because everyone has got such a fixed idea in their head of what Superman should be, even us, yeah. that no one is going to let go of it and accept a new movie version of Superman. See, I, I disagree. I I think I am still even more than the 78 Superman, even more than Man of Steel, which I genuinely love without reservation. Yeah. I still think there is a perfect Superman, or, or, or a more perfect Superman movie to be had. I don't understand why they haven't got Grant Morrison to write one. <laughs> yeah. I think the best bits of Man of Steel um, allude to his work. Mind you, I don't understand why they didn't do a Batman movie that's based on a Grant Morrison story. You know, it's just like, I know I sound like a complete unreserved morrison fanatic but because i am because he's brilliant i think he's the the greatest superhero writer who's ever who's ever lived <laughs> you know a pure you know i know we can argue that alan moore might is a better writer i think they're very close but i think oh, i don't know maybe alan moore just pips it you could argue but but alan moore doesn't really love superheroes in the way that grant morrison does and i think that's yeah. what gives grant morrison the edge in superhero stories i don't considering what he's capable of considering the stories we've read i don't understand why they don't give grant morrison you know because we're in an era with special effects and the budget they've got that they could do anything grant morrison wants to do um yeah and so first of all i think he's the obvious choice for me um i think if anyone's capable of doing a unifying super superman film it's him um mm. but i also think that we are it's like the movies we've had so far feel to me like they are missing a last ingredient and it'll take a smarter man or woman than me <laughs> to write it because I don't know what it is but I just think that there is there's something that you know I think that there's potential there I don't think Superman story in movies where movies are concerned is finished, and I don't think Superman 78 was the last word. Well, I hope you're right. As much as I love Superman 78, I hope it's not the last word, because we deserve to have... We, we need to have more versions of Superman as we go into the future, different versions of Superman. And what is Superman about if Superman is not about hope? <laughs> 